0: It is August 23rd, 2020. This is Rook. the kid from Shiraz who ascended to the heights of the most American of institutions. Firuz Naderi is well known for his rise to the top levels of NASA and his brilliant work in bringing humanity closer to Mars. But on top of a new Mars mission just launched, Dr. Naderi is also increasingly speaking out about the world politics and policy in the United States and in Iran, and feeling the sting of those who disagree with him as a consequence. Today a very special interview with Firus nadari about space belonging and backlash this is conversations from to and about the iranian diaspora i'm gian gomeshi this is rook Hi there, welcome to episode number 35, number 35 <laughs> of Rook. Salam Azizan, Salam Dustan. I'm uh, going to be joined in a few moments from now by Firuz Naderi. Uh, in Los Angeles, I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Uh, the Rook on Air Thursday posse are all here. Groovy Shaya, the Minister of Creativity. <laughs> Hello, Gruvi. Hello. Yes. Thank you. How are you? I'm. I'm well. Captain Reza, the Studio Director of our program. How goes the the ship? <laughs> Hello, sir. How are you? I'm. I'm. I'm well. I asked you a question. How goes the ship? I guess it goes. It, just it goes pretty like well. A, no. No. Right.
1: Everything is in order.
0: Uh, <laughs> the dials are all in order (laughs) that's right that's right you know we got a real life space guy coming on
1: (laughs) I
2: know
3: (laughs) that's scary
0: so your dials are that's right maybe.
2: Juvenile in comparison. And
0: that's the voice of the fabulous Keon, the lieutenant of letters.
2: I was waiting for my title.
0: <laughs> Hello, Keon. I'm
2: going to fight for that captain position one day, Reza. <laughs> How
0: are you? How, uh, how's your week been? I, I, I know you've been going to the gym.
2: Dude, I have been killing myself at the gym. I had to tie my shoes on my back the other day because I couldn't bend over. Do
0: you know why I know you've been going to the gym?
2: <laughs> well, I don't know. How have you known? Get,
0: take a guess. Because there's Spying on me. No, because you constantly put pictures of yourself at the gym. I
2: do not. On You're making me sound like and
0: and I just wonder when you go to the gym, do you not think of- like oh, that you should focus on working out because uh- it seems like most of what you're doing there. I mean, there's a series of videos and photos. It's
2: and just, okay, Gian, you're exaggerating <laughs> now. It's just my story. I'll just make it very clear to everybody. I am at the gym. Do not right. message me. Do not call me. Don't talk to me. Is that really why? Yeah, so in, everyone
0: knows where you of, are. Kind of, yeah. Okay. Yeah,
2: actually, in the mornings. <laughs> mornings are my gym time. The quarantine 15 got me hard, and I am like, I am on my way Good for back. You. Yeah, I'm actually yeah.
0: really impressed with, how. My, I'm still scared to go. We go to the why? same gym, and I haven't gone yet.
2: It's actually better now because it's everybody gets an hour limit and there's I a know, capacity you're still you get touching
0: so, things you're aren't you, i don't know i don't they, know they how clean I feel.
2: they clean it pretty yeah? thoroughly yeah. i want to
0: support the gym but i i don't i still don't feel comfortable is
2: that yet. your excuse gian
0: hey listen a very special mention to our honorary rook team member this week mo Rahimian mo Rahimian and his company Inshufin, who are Experts in financial planning, life, health, and securing wealth in insurance. His company also does travel insurance for uh, clients around the world. So no matter where you are listening to this from, you can deal with Mo and Inshufin for your Travel insurance requirements. Probably not a bad idea to take out insurance in the time of COVID if you're traveling. He calls himself uh, a Canadian Iranian. He says, I love and respect Canada. It's my country, but I'm also a proud Iranian. Uh, And as I was saying on our Monday show, Mo takes profits from his company and puts them back into the Iranian community, supporting arts, culture, events, and as such, today's Rook episode is made possible with the help of Inshufin, so a big thanks to Mo Rahimian for all you do for the uh, Iranian community, uh, the Iranian diaspora. We uh, we got a bunch of mail as well about the Navid Negahban episode on Monday, and the karate champion Nassim Varasteh, who was on our show last week. I don't believe she takes pictures of herself while she's doing karate. <laughs> she spends that time doing the karate.
4: <laughs> well, that, the That's the fact that, that she's a true. champion.
0: We're going to get to our letters, Navid Negapon, Nassim Varester, and all uh, some interesting conversations that came out of those conversations. We will get to that in a little while, yes?
2: Yes. Okay. Yes, we will. Thank you,
0: Kian Reza, Shaya. Let me get to our guest who is standing by. You know, our special guest today actually needs a little introduction, especially for Americans and people of Iranian descent around the world. He has spent recent decades managing NASA programs in pursuit of a most fundamental question, are we alone in the universe. Dr. Firuz Nadiri was born in Iran's city of poets Shiraz. He completed his elementary education in his hometown, then moved to Tehran for his secondary education. He immigrated to the United States after graduating from high school in the 1970s. Firuz received his doctorate from the University of Southern California in electrical engineering and joined NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in 1979 and went on to lead that unit as its director until 2016. On his retirement, NASA actually named an asteroid, Nadiri 5515, in his honor. Firuz referred to the asteroid and said, "Fortunately, it will never hit the Earth." Dr. Nadiri is now cooperating as a counselor with NASA, as well as startup programs. He's also working as an instructor of the prospective leaders training center for the Iranian American Association. He is a fellow of the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics, and the recipient of a number of awards, including NASA's Outstanding Leadership Medal, the Space Technology Hall of Fame Medal, and NASA highest award, the Distinguished Service Medal. He's also a 2005 recipient of the Ellis Island Medal of Honor, given for outstanding contributions that have enriched American society and exemplify its cultural diversity. He was most recently recognized by the American Astronautical Society with the William Randolph Lovelace II Award for outstanding contributions to space science and technology. And right now, Dr. Fidus Nadari joins me from Los Angeles today. Hello,
5: sir. Hello, Jean. thanks for that introduction. It's hard to live up to all that you said, but uh, thank you for your uh, generous uh, introduction.
0: Fidus, it's a great honor to have you on this program, truly. And I hope you've been staying uh, safe and uh, healthy during this weird pandemic time for the world.
5: Well, there is no other option, as you know. Uh, Uh, It's uh, like everybody else, Uh, we've been uh, quarantined or just uh, socializing with a select number of families and hoping that this will pass.
0: You know, I wanted to start with the fact that it's it's somewhat fortuitous timing to have you on this program, because just last week, Mars 2020, or a couple weeks ago, was launched, the Perseverance, And before we get into the details of it, I'm thinking of you and I'm thinking of how you've worked on these projects for years. And I wonder if you're like a kid at Christmas or or Noruz with the ADs when there's a new Mars mission, is it still exciting for you?
5: Yes, Gian, I mean, you can't help it. Uh, You know, I've spent uh, most of my career in space science uh, and been involved in the uh, NASA Mars mission in the past two decades. so yes, I still get a thrill uh, every time. Uh, every time we launch, and uh, I've been uh, personally, one way or the other, been involved in uh, NASA Mars missions uh, since 2000 when I helped uh, replanet, and uh, so I have some personal stakes, um, and um, I yes, I, I follow it uh, religiously.
0: I guess there's also, I remember when you started with the Mars missions, there had been a couple of failed missions in the late 90s. So there's always, uh, you can never be 100% comfortable or sure that everything's going to go correctly, right?
5: Yeah, I mean, to give you an indication, this is sort of a um, tongue-in-cheek. You know, if this was a, um, a soccer or a football match between Earth and Mars, Mars so far has had the better of it. You know, we have, we people of Earth, have sent things to Mars, some um, uh, 56, uh, times. And of the 56 times we've been successful, 26 and, uh, not so 30 times. So score is 26 to 30 in favor of Mars. But, and now with, the uh, missions that you mentioned, uh, with the, three countries, uh, uh, Iran, China, and United, uh, Emirates, uh, there are six, um, between the three of them, they're sending six robots, that if they are all successful, and we would know that, uh, you know, sometimes in mid-February, when they reach Mars, uh, for the first time, (laughs) Earth will have the uh, upper hand uh, with uh, 32 to 30. But, yeah, it is difficult. Um, Landing, particularly so. Uh, but uh, it is not routine uh, even after all these decades.
0: As a long-suffering Arsenal fan, I can identify with those statistics. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to try and do this in a way that's uh, accessible. You're great when you're talking about science. I've seen you in interviews and speeches and, and you're very accessible in the way you do it and that helps me because I'm not a scientist and I don't understand all the details but I do understand that Perseverance is the first mission, this new one, that plans to bring samples of Mars back to Earth is that right? And this is this is the yes, ongoing. You are, no, no,
5: you, 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 are, you are correct. Um, so every time we have gone to Mars, we have never come back. Uh, neither we have sent things back, or any other robots have come back. So it's always been uh, one way. So if you really want to dig in and try to find out whether there ever was life on Mars um, uh, of any sort uh there is really no other way but to bring samples of Mars back and then expose them to the and work on them uh, with the most sophisticated instruments in the world right now in the laboratories so for this reason uh, bringing samples back has been always a holy grail of Mars exploration but uh the technology wasn't quite right uh in fact uh, at one time it was uh, schedules for 2008 but when I became the uh, program manager for Mars I uh, advocated for canceling it because I didn't think it would be successful but now we're there so um as you mentioned uh, this is first of three consecutive missions so the first mission which is what we sent is going to hopefully land safely on Mars and it is going to land in a ancient lake bed, right. uh, um, a crater called Jazeera. And also there is an ancient river that uh, in, in billions of years ago uh, emptied into this lake. And as you may know, when rivers empty uh, into a lake, they, at the mouth, they sort of fan out in something called the River Delta. And uh, things that they've been carrying... Uh, It sort of gets uh, deposited at that delta. So uh, we are trying to reach that delta, land there, and we are taking about 40 test tubes with us. Um, And what we'll do, we'll core into that delta, we'll take samples out and fill these test tubes, 40 of them from uh, a uh, a varied uh, locations, and then, um, and, uh, with the instrumentations that we have on board, we make sure that we uh, take the best possible samples. Uh, we first examine them and, uh, you know, and then fill the uh, test tubes. And then we just leave them there. We just leave it uh, thrown around the, um, the, the land on Mars. So the second of the third mission, which we will send in about four or five years, for the first time, it will send an actual rocket, which will lift off the surface of Mars for the first time ever. And we land that on Mars. And since we cannot exactly put it where Perseverance left the test tubes, there is a little rover that goes and will fetch uh, these 40 samples and bring it back to the rocket. There, we will put them inside a tube since we were... Uh, staying with sports analogy, the the size of the uh, the ball is uh, about a soccer ball. We put all 40 tubes inside the uh, that soccer ball size uh, sphere. We put it on top of the rocket and we shoot it off uh, from the surface of Mars mm. into orbit around Mars. So there is now this shiny, bright soccer ball. Uh, with all the samples inside of it, uh, circling Mars, and, and let, me gu- let
0: me let me guess, the third mission is to go and pick up those samples from the from space. Then
5: you keep that up, and I'm going to sign you up. <laughs> uh, so,
0: Deduction, yes, <laughs> I-
5: indeed, that's the, the uh, third mission. That one will not be done by America. Uh, it will be done by ESA, which is European Space Agency. Uh, which is uh, representing a consortium of uh, countries in Europe, it will go to orbit of Mars, and in that vast emptiness, tries to locate this soccer ball and rendezvous with it, capture it, cocoon it in something to make sure if there is any microbe on Mars, it will not expose Earth with it, and then bring it back to Earth, And um, there, the real work starts of uh, starting to examining the samples.
0: Okay, so the pretext of this, the great goal of this, is is assessing whether there is or has been life on Mars. The great question and. And I want to ask you a question now that, that is either extremely naive or profound. I'm not sure which, you can decide. And, and, and perhaps it's absurd. But given that it has long been the aspiration of humankind to, to learn what kind of life might be out there in the cosmos or on Mars, and I know, I know you've long been a student of this, what will we gain by finding an answer to that age-old question, are we alone in the universe or not?
5: Well, look... Uh the, in the vastness of the universe, uh, and to just give you a quick sense of uh, how large the universe is, uh, you um, are in Toronto, if you go to the nearest lake or nearest beach and try to pick a sand grain, a single sand grain, out of all the sand grains in the lake, that is, um, let's call that our sun. And uh, and then continue counting all the sand grains in the local beaches, and then when you're done, uh, everything in so- South America, North America, Europe, in fact, count all the sand grains <laughs> on the beaches on Earth. Okay. And the number of stars, stars being other entities like our sun, is more than all the sand grains in the world. It would seem uh one way or the other either we are so uh, blessed uh among all these sand grains that we uh, alone have uh, uh, developed uh, life uh here on planet earth around the sun or in fact you can use the argument that that would be uh uh rather um, arrogant of us to even think that right. that there are many many more life forms at any, at any rate, it gives you a context for us being here on Earth. I think that's profound, knowing whether, in fact, we are alone in, in the universe or not. And even though this is not the subject of this discussion, because it takes a long time, so I will avoid it, uh, if you look at how life first arose on Earth uh, since it was four and four and a half billion years ago, and how that happened, which is uh, uh, the probability is very, very low, but it did. If you find out, not in any other sand grain, but in our own little sand grain, in our solar system, there was a second place, like Mars, that independent of Earth also developed life, then the probability that the universe is teeming with life uh, would be exponential so that is one of the reasons we go to mars mm-hmm. but generally on i i think our young people are always inspired and seek to go into math and computer science and technology uh you know when there is uh, something inspirational and you can't deny that space exploration is excellent uh, is uh inspirational uh, and uh Throughout the years, uh, our technology that we use in everyday life, in uh, medicine, uh, in uh, um, assembly of uh, uh, machines and things like that, in GPS, they have all been helped by the fact that we have developed these technologies right. uh, for space, and years later, it has sort of found its way into the normal life. So the people who say, well, what does it mean to me? Even if the philosophical question that we just talked about doesn't get you, uh, then uh, you would give it a nod because it actually helps your life here on Earth.
0: Let me come back to that because that's a that in terms of funding, that's a big question too. But uh, first of all, by the way, just parenthetically, I uh, just listening to you, you're so into this. I I I mean, and to continue our sports analogies, <laughs> I know you're technically retired from NASA, but but you're kind of like Michael Jordan. You you retire, but then you come back. I mean, if now seems to have never really left NASA and space exploration never really leaves Firuz. Would that be correct?
5: Yeah, it goes in uh, your blood. Uh, first of all, you know, I have uh, stepped down from my full-time duty at NASA. I have not retired. You can't just turn the switch off and retire. So I'm still pretty active, uh, as you mentioned earlier, uh, in consulting in, uh, back to NASA and also with early-stage startups. So I'm still fairly active and uh, uh and yes uh, yeah it's uh you're addicted to it it's Why? why what,
0: what is the can you put it into words what's the drug that is uh, space exploration for you
5: Um you know I coach uh a number of uh young uh, Iranian students um actually uh, international not only Iranian um that uh they always ask me, you know, we want to follow in your footsteps and, you know, what propelled you ahead. There is only one thing I can think of over and above everything else, and that is curiosity. I think that is what drives us, the uh, the yearning to know what's around the band, to go around the corner and see what's around the band. I think that propels um, everybody. And uh, so, what uh, keeps me engaged is that there is so much to know, and I'm, you know, I've been, I'm so naturally curious uh, that uh, you always try to stay um, up to date, and that's what drives you.
0: Hmm. It's interesting that you should use the word curiosity. Let, let me stick with the Mars missions for another couple of minutes. You were directly involved with the well-known Curiosity mission a rover that is currently on Mars. It's doing its job. And on the NASA science website, it says that the ultimate goal of the Curiosity is human exploration of Mars. Uh, What would that look like? How could it benefit us and, and the universe? What does human exploration on or of Mars look like?
5: Well, uh, you know, go back to, uh, you know, 15th century, uh, Europe was doing well, Portugal was doing well, uh, the known universe was known to them, and uh, had they not been curious to try to find out what else is there, uh, you know, they would have never crossed the oceans and tried to go to America, and uh, and so, uh, you know, the rest is history. so it is uh within us you know it is part of our uh human's dna that wants to explore and uh, and it, through that exploration as i explained earlier uh, their uh, life uh, enriches so uh the idea of uh, trying to get further and further out in the universe uh you know, stems from that now there are some people who say well, if you're going to Mars because you think someday Earth would be uninhabitable, and uh, you know you're going to Mars so you can have a second beachhead, uh, and that's uh, um, foolhardy. Why don't you take care of Earth? Why are you destroying Earth so that you need to go to some place else? That's never the argument. Of course, we should take care of Earth first. Uh, that's the only life, uh, the only uh, home that we know. Mm. So Mars is not to be a substitute for Earth. So it is stems, uh, first and foremost, out of curiosity to push further into the uh, universe. But, you know, if uh, we are foolish enough to someday uh, make uh, uh, Earth uninhabitable, then it would give us another option. Steve Hawking uh, said that... uh, if within thousand years from now humans have not found another place uh, which they can call which uh, which they can live on aside from earth in that we will go extinct
0: let me ask the question directly we are sitting in the middle I mean you've touched on this a couple of times but I want to give you the chance to really respond to it we're sitting in the middle of a global pandemic where yeah. resources can be scarce economies are tumbling you know, at the height of the U.S.-Soviet space race, there, there seemed to be this great appetite for spending when it came to space exploration. What is the case you would make today for uh, someone who says, why, why is my nation putting sure. resources into a Mars mission versus health care or the environment?
5: Sure. If you take a dollar of federal government and then take a penny, one hundredth of it, uh, out of that dollar, and then cut it in half, and then cut that in half. That's the budget of NASA. And so, if you are in fact uh, hard up for uh, balancing the budget relative to other urgencies, I would submit to you that the war that America had with Iraq, what fifteen years, uh, fifteen sixteen years ago, right, that would fund NASA for seventy years. So I think it would be misguided, given all the benefits that I cited, to go after that quarter of one penny, try to save money to fund Social Security or Medicare. Uh, there are other places where I think we are spending foolishly that if, in fact, you want to rebalance your priorities, that's where to look. Uh, it is not to gut NASA
0: you you talked about what people get wrong in terms of the budget uh when it comes to to nasa what what are myths that people have about nasa what do people get wrong about this institution
5: it depends uh i mean there are uh conspiracy theorists abound uh you know there are people who think that we know a lot? We've been in contact with aliens, and and uh, <laughs> we are hiding that from the public. Wait, that's so not forth. true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, let me clarify and and say no, that and, okay. that is uh, right. not true. And the uh, second thing is that uh, you know we uh, faked the uh, moon landing. You know, we that was all done in Hollywood studios, and we faked it and then no matter how many times you explain it to them they still come back to it so uh there are conspiracy theories which i think do not want to learn and uh i have stopped uh, uh wasting my breath uh talking to them
0: <laughs> if you I'm, i, I want to shift from space into identity but just before i do that if you could set a mission goal for exploration without any concern for budgetary requirements or political support? What would that goal be?
5: Aside from uh, human travel, which uh, I think uh, to Mars, uh, which, uh, uh, you know, I mean, Elon Musk's uh, bravado notwithstanding, I mean, at one time he said, you know, we're gonna go there in 2018 but that was two years ago. Uh, Then it's 2024, I don't think that's gonna happen. I think sometimes between 2030 few years after that um that's a possibility in fact just before I left NASA with the help of two colleagues uh we laid out a plan uh to in fact enable uh you know such a mission and knowing you know just what you talked about about NASA budget knowing that we can never go back to early uh 60s with the cold war and uh, you know, b- budget was uh, no issue. We uh, said, what if NASA budget never grows beyond what it is right now, just grows with inflation? How long will it take, and how would we uh, sequence things to go to Mars? And it turned out to be uh, mid 2030s. Now. Uh, on, uh, is a bit more ambitious, which I think is good. I think NASA is getting too conservative. I think it needs somebody uh, from the private sector to sort of push NASA. So I think SpaceX is really not in competition with NASA, but I think it is a nice compliment. Uh, they may bring it, uh, forward a little bit, but it is not in the next few years. We'll, will we'll go, uh, eventually. So human to Mars is one. And the second one of my favorite is that we believe that if there is currently uh... any kind of biology elsewhere in our solar system the probability is the highest for a moon of jupiter you know jupiter uh... and like us that have only one moon jupiter has like sixty seven sixty eight moons and one of them europa so has a vast ocean which is cocooned inside a shell of 20 or so kilometer ice. We believe that all the conditions for emergence of life uh, is there for Europa. And be able to find that out, I I think, would be another great thing and probably was the last mission that I worked on before I left NASA.
0: You were a kid from Shiraz who had a facility for math and science as the story goes. You came to America as a, as a young man in the late 70s. Uh, much of your story has been told elsewhere and there is a great deal of, of pride in our diaspora that an Iranian has ascended to the celestial heights that you have. Let me ask a question this way. Is there anything about being from the East, growing up there, being Iranian, that you think helped your perspective on life and space as you were coming up in NASA?
5: Yeah, no, not exactly the way you asked it. Um, first of all, to clarify, and I do not say with any uh, false sense of uh, being humble, there are so many, particularly among the young generation of Iranian Americans that uh, that come here or Iranian students that come here, that I see so much, so much smarter than I uh that uh i was uh you know at their age uh is that no i was not particularly blessed uh y- you know uh, being uh uh any more advanced than anybody else uh, so probably it was hard work curiosity and good luck that allowed me to get to where i am uh so it is eminently possible for um, everybody else and i think in fact uh, such a mistake for America, and kudos to Canada, that uh, has uh, kept the doors open for Iranian students coming <coughs> here to further their education. And one way or the other, you know, I, I said this thing uh, in an interview that it is a win-win for America. Either they come and, like myself, decide to stay in this country and get absorbed in this society, which uh, which is good. Or, in fact, they go back to their country with, a, with empathy for America and change the perception yes. of the home country about America. Yes. To close the doors on Iranian students, which get accepted uh, disproportionately at uh, you know, uh, universities like Stanford and MITs and Caltech, it's just so short-sighted by the current administration and that uh, it just, uh, you know, frankly infuriates me.
0: What about that that notion of hard work that you talk about, though? And not to romanticize the notion of immigrants uh, being hardworking, etc., but do you think that there was an element to that, that you outworked? Uh, those around you, because uh, of uh, coming from somewhere else and needing to work that much harder, uh, given the language tools and all the and and uh, the pedagogical approach and having to adapt to everything in in the states.
5: No, I think the classical picture that we have of the immigrants that try harder, um, uh, you know, it, it's uh, really is there. There is a you may know him, Omid uh, Kurdestani, He was. Sure. Um, uh, you know the 10th employee at Google and now is the executive chairman at Twitter he gave a commencement speech at at the University and there's something that he said he stuck with me you know he came here as a 14 year old with uh, his uh, single mom and uh, he talked about how he got ahead given the mindset that you're talking about Uh, and you know at the beginning you are not native. Your English, if you're like in Canada or U.S., is not good enough, and uh, you're um, come from a different culture. You have to adapt. All of that makes you work harder. So, but what he said that stuck with me was that he said that now, you know, years, 50 years later, now that I'm well assimilated in the American culture. One thing that I tell all immigrants, that after you succeed, don't lose the mindset of an immigrant. Keep that with you, even though you don't face the same challenges as you did when you first came here. And that uh, you know, mindset that he talked about, uh, you know, uh, says everything.
0: And do you have that mindset?
5: I've always kept it, I think, yeah. I've always, uh, I'm very competitive. Uh, anyways, but uh, yes, I've kept that mindset.
0: Tell me about, you know, on uh, leaping off that, uh, jumping off that very point, tell me about being a guy who has worn the emblem of, one might say, the most American of institutions on your sleeve, NASA, but who also regularly and proudly identifies as Iranian. How do those two nations coexist in you?
5: Ah, you know, I I refer to that as the curse and the blessing of having two countries. Uh, so it, it, it is difficult. Uh, you know, I you talked a little bit about my history, uh, uh, my adult life, and I call my adult life beyond my high school years. And high school years, you know, I went to a a boarding Catholic uh, high school in Tehran, and so I was sort of shielded from the society. So even when I left Iran at eighteen, I had not really grown up all that much uh, in the outside world of, uh, uh, you know, Iran society. But beyond that, uh, now I've spent ninety-five percent of my life in, in America. Adult life. Adult life, right. and uh, I feel uh, in a very strong uh, way that I owe a, a sense of gratitude uh, to two countries: uh, one in which I was born, and the other one which enabled the rest of my life. Uh, and I cannot differentiate. Uh, you know, when people say, "Well, you know, are you really an Iranian or an American?" Mm. and uh, my response has always been, you know, once you break an egg into a bowl and then steer it, it is very hard to separate the uh, the yolk from the white. Right. And that is uh, most uh, pe- uh, people who have immigrated and have been here for a long time. So I, you know, have a sense of belonging to both. And when some people, as, you know, maybe we'll get to talk about it, um, particularly in this... Uh, sensitive times in american history and election coming up uh, they talk about you know you need to vote this way or the other way it's your duty to uh, iran and forget about any sense of duty at the uh, to america because after all you're Iranian and i said no i'm not Iranian i'm Iranian american right. it the both go together I have duties uh and sense of loyalty to Iran and sense of loyalty to America. Uh and uh so I'm not going to choose. I mean no matter how much you try to press me and shame you know fr- frankly in uh, uh social media they try to shame you into taking sides yes. uh, between your two identities. Yes. And I just refuse to do it. Uh those misguided people who insist uh, let them live their lives but uh most of the people that I know here, they feel obligations to both countries. And there are times where there were people who were advocating that America should bomb Iran, uh, you know, to get rid of the current regime, which, by the way, uh, not to politicize your uh, show, I'm very much against. Uh, but I, you know, I was very much against it. Uh, you, you know, you don't bomb a nation in order to get rid of uh, the Mullahs. It's easy for me to say sitting in Los Angeles, I know that the bomb will not drop on my head, uh, to say, yeah, at, at any cost, by any means, get these people out, bomb, so two million people die, so what? These people, are, I, I, no, I can't say that. And then here, when people ask me to vote one way or the other, uh, you know, forgetting that America has uh, environmental issues, medical issue, race issue, uh, social security issues, and dozens of issues on which, when Americans go to poll and vote, they should keep it forefront in their mind. i 'm not going to sacrifice all of that, um, because some people are thinking, uh, no, I mean, you should only look at the next election through the lens of Iran, which I refuse to do.
0: Okay, you've given me a treasure chest of talking points in that one answer that that I want to deconstruct and take one at a time. We'll get to the politics, uh, but first, a, a couple of statements. First of all, I'm on to you. I knew you were going to, I suspected you might use your egg analogy, uh, which I love, but I do want to say sometimes people still choose to separate the egg, even though it naturally mixes in the bowl. That still exists. To to extend the metaphor perhaps further than you wish to, um, and and the other thing I was going to say is. Uh, I'm not sure if it matters, you know, you did the percentage on how long you've been here and how long you've been in Iran. To a certain extent, Peter's John, I don't know if that actually even matters because I didn't spend my life first, first half of my life in Iran, but I still feel that duality and that incredible uh, identity and that devotion to two nations, in my case, Canada and, the, and, the, and Iran, even the UK where I spent my early years and and I know cousins of mine or friends who've come very recently in the last two or three years or five years and feel that same devotion to to their new country as uh as as you do having been here for a few decades so it's almost not about the amount of time spent but this preternatural this um this this bigger than geography feeling that you we develop towards the uh, a duality of cultures does that make sense?
5: yeah and you you, you notice that I did not say i did not weigh my allegiances based on the number of years i said ninety five percent adult life here right. and so forth right so uh no i i think the loyalty and a sense of belonging that you have to do, the two countries are not uh, weighed by number of years that you have spent in either places uh no, I was born there. There when there in my roots, my parents, my history uh uh it's all rooted in Iran. I, whether I was there for 18 years or 1800 years, uh that's that's there. So all I'm saying it is unreasonable for people who have not experienced this duality to question your loyalty towards one versus the other. Right. It, only the people who have lived this life and they are deeply connected to uh, two cultures they know what I'm talking about they know the uh, sense of belonging and loyalty that you have towards both uh, which is uh, you know I I don't uh, ascribe an index to it I mean 60% here 40% there there. It, it's not that I just give you a factual data and how much of my life has been uh, you know, in the I two countries. But America is where I got educated. It's where I got the opportunity to work, as you said, in one of the most American of Americans institutions. So it gave me all of that. I owe it. I owe it to that culture. I love that culture. And I love my home country, and I don't see any contradictions in those.
0: Even within the loyalty, as you know, there's... There isn't always unity. And uh, I want to ask you about our global Iranian community. I know you've said you're uncomfortable, by the way, with any kind of hero worship. And again, you've demonstrated your modesty already in this interview. But but you are one of the most prominent names and voices in our diaspora. And you've talked about seeing how other communities help each other and their home base, if you will. Jewish Americans, say, helping out other Jews and Israel. Uh, and yet, uh, for all of our our wealth and education in the diaspora the brain trust as uh, you've called it at times we we don't always do that how frustrated are you by that and tell me about the delta between pride and collective support in our Iranian community
5: yeah so um I think, in, uh, unfortunately, uh, our, our country, uh, home country, Iran, has been facing so many on top of uh, what they're suffering under the current regime. There also, you know, there's been floods and there's been earthquakes, there's been pandemic, and uh, I have seen remarkable uh, coming up together of people trying to raise funds. Uh, you know, for these causes, I've been involved in a number of them myself, and even in a more steady state, uh, I'm involved with organizations that try to educate young kids who are bright, but their parents want them to come and go on the street and sell trinkets to bring an additional income home, and therefore they take them out of school, and you go t- tell the parents... Uh, uh, you know how much this nine year old girl brings home? They say, fifty oh, dollars they say, "Okay, if we give you the fifty dollars, would you let her go back to school You know and they say yes, and so i 'm part of an organization that does that, and there's several many different organizations and many people who are involved, but also the enmity that uh, that stands in uh, between u s and Iran doesn 't make it easy. I mean the banks don 't transfer money. Right. Uh, you know it 's not easy to send money and you know engage in commerce, so within the limitation unfortunately and hostility that exists between the two countries, uh, there are people uh, you, you know who within the limitation try to uh, you know, to help Iran. The unity that you talked about which is lacking uh, you know it is uh, a vast majority uh, i I'm, will hesitate to put a percentage on it a vast majority of iranians who live outside of iran um, uh, i don't know some estimates says 7 8 million uh, people uh, in america the estimate ranges between 1 to 2 million people uh, i know toronto for example is uh, you know has a very large population of iranians it's
0: exploded here absolutely yeah
5: yeah so uh, I'm, you know, don't uh, force me to bring proof. It's my sense that the majority do not like, do not approve of the current regime in Iran. And they want it gone. Not modified, but gone. Uh, And they want a, uh, a secular democracy in place of it. But, now back to your unity question, they cannot agree what form that secular democracy should take and worse than that and i face it all the time it is not sufficient that you're against that regime they want you to be against the, in, uh, that regime in a way that they are against that regime to fall behind their line so that is why 40 years has gone by and nothing has happened because people cannot unify i mean uh, you know, we say that the mullahs are uh, ignorant, and, and you know, I won't fight that notion certainly. Hmm. But somebody like Khomeini was clever enough to uh, differentiate between being smart and being clever. Right, right. Clever enough to uh, unify people who went, who were against the prior uh, monarchy and unite them for his purpose. Now, of course, uh, you know, he betrayed all of them later, but nonetheless was able to unify them. Uh, we lack leadership that's able to uh, unify. But right
0: why now. are we, sorry to cut you off, but why are we so prone to, you've called it before, the my way or the highway attitude. Why are we so prone to that in the, as a global community?
5: Jen, I don't think it is unique to us. I mean, I look at the polarization in American society, uh, you know, that is here as well. Uh, I don't know. But leaders can either try to unify or they can further divide people. And unfortunately, in the U.S. right now, we have leadership that tries to divide rather than unify. But going back to your a point about uh, Iranians i think we need a charismatic leader that will try to overcome this tendency by the diaspora certainly outside of iran uh, I, I think people inside iran in some way are more unified in a way that they want this regime gone by any means possible but in Amer- in uh, outside iran we're more engaged uh trying to pick our favorite government after these guys are gone and willing to fight over that, forgetting about the fact that these guys aren't having exactly <laughs> packed their suitcases right, right. ready to go. Uh, so the first job is try to, to uh, facilitate their departure. And uh, so I, I don't know. I think a, uh, a charismatic leader could help uh, reason uh, with the different factions and try to unify them. But I just don't see it right now on the horizon.
0: You've made an interesting decision in recent years. Um, I mean, while you were serving completely at NASA up until 2016, you you stayed quite clear of politics. Um, in, in the last few years, you've become quite vocal in expressing, for example, your dismay at the political situation in Iran uh, and in the United States with uh, Donald Trump as well. You've pulled no punches. Um, I want to get to the kind of reaction you've received from that. But first, tell me about that decision, because it feels like you would need to have known that this is uh, this is going to be a minefield to start opening up in terms of uh, being open about your political feelings. Tell me about making that decision.
5: Yeah, Jian, the trigger point was a little bit earlier. Uh, you know, I was so engrossed uh, in my professional life, and the social media wasn't what it is today that I sort of steered clear of politics uh, until 2009. 2009, when the Green Movement happened, and because of the social media, I saw how the young people uh, with nothing more than t-shirts and a rock to protect them were getting massacred. Uh, you know, it just uh, awakened something in me. And I started uh, getting a lot of messages because now... Social media shrunk the world, so I was in contact with young people in iran hey, why don 't you say anything? why don 't you take a position and At that time, I heavily aligned myself with what came to be known as the green movement without ever uh, mentioning uh, who were the the other guy Uh, uh who Without ever mentioning, because my support was not for them. My support was for the fight of the Iranian people for democracy. So I aligned myself with the Green Movement, and that sort of started that 2009. So it's been sort of 11 years that got engaged in uh, political discourse, and then later, uh, you know, I did make what I look back right now uh, in retrospect, uh, probably not the right thing to do. Is that uh, in the last election uh, I was so intent, basically uh, through urging of uh, friends and family in Iran, that said if uh, Raisi becomes uh, president, our life would be even more miserable than it is today. That uh, you know he should not become president, and for me it was very obvious if you don't vote basically, uh, you guarantee that he would become, because he was the uh, elected, selected candidate of the Rahbar, that he would become. So I urge people to vote. So I've gotten a lot of backlash on that one. You know, how could you be against the regime but still urging people to vote? Uh, because uh, as we can see, Rouhani has proved yet again that there is no dif- differentiation between these Ahons. They're all the same and uh... how can you have done that uh... and so once again uh... i was uh... you know in favor of uh, people's lives not getting even worse than what it is today but apparently it has made no difference and that has sort of solidified my current position that this whole regime in its entirety this whole apparatus in all factions whether eslaat alab, whether it is uh, what, whatever they they call the usul uh, Gara or whatever else, that the entire thing needs to be dismantled and replaced by a secular democracy. But uh, if you have time to talk about it, there is another thing, unfortunately, aside from our disunity, another thing which prevents us. From finally waking up from this nightmare. And that is something which has been in our Iranian DNA for now, uh, you know, a couple of centuries, uh, not unique to current time. And that is that we believe, unless somebody else wants it, some other force outside of Iran, be it, uh, and in different times it has changed, be it. China, be it Russia, be it England, British, yeah, yeah. being America, unless they wish it, nothing will change in Iran. So we are always are looking for a savior, which never comes. And uh, so we really, if we are to wake up from this nightmare, we really need two things to happen. One is the unity that you talked about before, uh, all... Uh, pulling in the same direction. And the second thing is stop looking for this. You know, it's the same thing as people uh, in Iran who have this Imam apparently, which is down at the bottom of a well and they're waiting for him to come out and spread joy and peace around the world. It's the same thing, uh, it's the same superstition that the religious people have when they are waiting for whether it be Trump or being anybody else to come and liberate Iran, which will never happen. So without these two to be believing in your own will and um, ability to make change and without uniting, uh, you know, they've been around for 40 years. They'll stay around another 40.
0: Fierce, tell me about the backlash and and how it affects you. They, the uh you know one thing that we do have trouble with in in our in our community in our diaspora and we've we've touched on it many many times on this show already um, is just sitting across from each other and, and talking, even if we have profoundly different opinions about how the regime must change or how we, how that change should be prosecuted, etc. It's a difficult... Banaf Afshei was uh, on this program a couple of weeks yeah. ago, and she said, yeah. look, the definition of democracy is just, let's sit and actually talk to each other. But um, yeah. uh, for a number of reasons, some of which you've cited, there's it, it, tensions are high, and people's opinions are that my way of the highway uh, position. That does sometimes prevail. It prevails depending on which guest we have on each week. We're we're labeled one show or another. Sometimes completely yeah, contradicting yeah. each other. So you were this guy for many years. I can only assume who was the the NASA guy that everybody in the global community, Iranian community, loved and adored. And then all of a sudden, as you start taking opinions, uh, political opinions, be they about Iran or be they about Donald Trump, etc. Um, you start hearing from people. What, what has that been like for you?
5: Uh, so Jean, first of all, you have to, uh, you know, you cannot um, step into the political arena without developing a thicker skin. I was deeply hurt, uh, right? Partially because of what you said I was not used to. Uh, maybe I was spoiled by um, the love and respect that I had received uh many of which by the way was exaggerated and undeserved i'm sure but uh but uh, the assault and how vicious it was uh, uh, caught me uh, by uh, by surprise and this labeling that you just that is the uh, the sickness right now in um, our diaspora uh it is to uh, and by the way, uh, you know, the social media is a two-edged sword. It, it allows a lot of opinions to be aired, but also it allows very easily, without impunity, without uh, with impunity, to label people. Yep. Okay, so people come and you say, you know, uh, a, uh, a stooge of uh, of the Jamhuriya Islami, which just on the face of it. <laughs> would sound stupid. Anyone who hasn't gone back to Iran for even when my mom passed away, I couldn't go back to Iran, and I've been warned that uh, all my communications is being monitored by John Kooli Islami, and every fiber of my body is uh, rebels against this regime. Uh, you know, but nonetheless, I mean, it doesn't cost anything. You just come and you say uh, he is. He is a stooge of the Islamic Republic, or pick an institution that allegedly uh, is uh, uh, a storefront for them, uh, the uh, NIAC, uh, which uh, I don't have any independent way of uh, uh, knowing uh, whether they are or not, but uh, without any uh, proof, evidence. You know, you're engaged in NIAC, you are part of NIAC, you're on the board of NIAC, which I've never ever been. You, you deny it maybe once or twice or three times, and then you uh, figure it's useless. You know, it's trying to stick your finger, you know, in a hole that's gushing water. You, you give up. But nonetheless, I still look across. The three platforms where I am—Facebook, Instagram, and and Twitter—the percentage of people who come and sling mud, relative to other people who still, uh, you know, they say, "Stick with it, please. Be our voice. Speak. You know, don't mind these people." It's it's still a small percentage. It's uh, you know, five or six percentage uh, of the people who come on my platforms. They, uh, you know. Yeah, it hurts. It hurts, but, you know, you can't do anything about it, so you don't uh, dwell. And you just hope that rational people uh, would see that that is the case. And the thing with the social media is that you read something without trying to ascertain its validity. You repeat it. Hmm. And then somebody else repeats that and so when i have confronted some people where i thought they were more educated because the uneducated ones are very easy to uh... to spot they right, always right. uh... invoke body parts below, below their belt hmm. and uh, so you dismiss those as uh... they, they are in a gutter hmm. but the people who appear to be more educated you say can you show me one evidence what you say? I mean, based on what do you say that? And so we go back and forth and back and forth, and it ends up saying, "Okay, I apologize," except I don't want to spend that much time, you know, confronting these people. So, by and large, I try to ignore it, and say, you know, and state my opinion, and not be bullied by these people right. because. Right. Uh, the more that you respond to them uh, in some way you elevate them and they're not worth it.
0: But if it's been hurtful or difficult for you, it hasn't deterred you. You continue to... I think and eloquently put your opinions out there. And since we've talked about you doing so and the reaction to it, let me actually get to a couple of the opinions so that people have a sense of uh, what we might be talking about if they don't follow you on Instagram, for example. I want to read from a post of yours on Instagram, uh, which I thought was just so, uh, was very clear and, and um, sensical uh, discussing the crackdown. This is from a couple of months ago, discussing the crackdown on black lives matters, protesters in America, and drawing the connection to the way protesters in Iran are treated, you say, and this is me quoting you, the protesters are, quote-unquote, low-life scums. What they are doing is, quote-unquote, crime against God, and the police should respond with force and harshness to, quote-unquote, dominate them. Who said these? If you said Khamenei about the Oban protesters, you are right. And if you said Trump about the current protesters in America, you are right again. A corrupt autocrat is a corrupt autocrat in Iran or in America.
5: If a guy doesn't care about human rights in his own country, as Trump certainly does not, how could he possibly care about human rights in Iran in a far distant land? It doesn't make any sense. You know, I mean, you first have to demonstrate that you... Uh, value uh, human rights here in this you know, in your own country that the one that you govern and you're a leader of, before you espouse, uh, you know, uh, human rights in uh, 20,000 miles away. Um, I mean, so I don't buy into uh, this thing that uh, I mean, all the people who are waiting for Trump to uh, save Iran they will come to a sad realization one way or the other on november third either way either he is not elected or if he is elected they will find out another four years that all he really wants and all he has said i mean how many times does he have to say it you know i'm not after the regime change all the man wants is a photo op and a deal so he can say i got a better deal that obama did Uh, So either way, they're going to be disappointed. So at the end, look within. Look to yourself. Look to your neighbor. Look to fellow opposition leaders. Unite with them. And stop looking at uh, these saviors uh, from foreign lands that will never come.
0: I've asked you about Iran. Let me ask you quickly about America. I know you have no affection for Trump. We just heard that. But as a scientist, in particular, are you concerned about a second Trump administration after November 3rd? Uh,
5: Yes. Uh, Look, uh, I mean, the one which is very obvious is, of course, is his total disregard and his uh, administration's total disregard for global warming. It's hard to point to another topic where the community of global scientists uh, there's a unanimity about the consequence of what we, did, we are doing to Earth, right? Yet, he is unfazed, okay? And then look at his disastrous handling of the pandemic, uh, which basically at every turn, he opposes the, uh, the finding of the scientists and the opinion of scientists. Yeah. So someone so anti-science, uh you know naturally i wouldn't like to see be uh also get another four-year shot at being the presidency uh and doing the harm that he does to the environment and to the healthcare.
0: you've been so generous with your time let me finish off with a couple of questions that are are zoom out questions about what you see uh, and what you have felt that can come in the future. This this program, at its heart, is about and we say conversations from to and about the Iranian diaspora is about people of Iranian descent. Of course, it's for for more than just people of Iranian descent. But for those of us who are of Iranian descent, it matters what is happening in Iran. Um, we can't let go of that. And as you've said in this interview, it's been a particularly disastrous year, dating back to the the killing of protesters in the streets last year, to the to the flight seven 2 to covid uh, it has just been horrendous fear in many interviews you have expressed your optimism and hope in the younger generations in Iran today w- where does that hope stem from I mean are you in touch with young people in Iran what why do you feel so optimistic
5: even though it is really increasingly harder and harder uh, to be but you know what I have said and i think it it hardly can be argued that when we talk about the wealth of Iran, the assets of Iran, you know, often people talk about uh, the oil and gas energies, and, you know, we are number three, four, whatever it is that we are in the world, and other things, what have you. These are not, you know, the real assets of Iran. The assets of Iran, uh, it's the, the young people and that's the future that's the that's the treasure and uh ultimately i think if if something is going to happen it's going to be because of them Uh, i think older people are by nature conservative and stay home and it is young people who are optimistic and idealistic and go and in fact um, sacrifice uh, the most valuable thing that they have, which is their life. So I'm optimistic because of Iran's youth. It is educated. It is in touch, uh, you know, because of uh, the uh, social media. And at the end, uh, if um, I hope that Iran will come out of this thing, um, my hope is, you know, is the young people. Uh, it's not the uh, wealthy person who sitting in beverly hills or sitting in toronto or what have you or or uh vancouver with uh, ill-gotten wealth and uh and, and they're not going to do anything uh they took the loot and they run away uh so it is the young people uh that's uh, if i have optimism it's because of that
0: a final question you've uh, you've talked about how your experience in space exploration tells you that a unifying principle uh, we can live by is that planet Earth is home to all of us. In other words, whatever else divides us, if we stand above and look back, we all inhabit the Earth as one. It's, It's incredibly simple and yet such a profound perspective that we seem to have so much trouble with on this planet. What could we all learn from seeing things from the perspective of outer space?
5: You know, normally I end my lectures with, a, um, with a, one final slide, uh, which is a side-to-side image of the map of the Middle East with all the borders and all the, uh, you know, havoc that's going on there. And the other one is the view of the astronauts when they look back at Earth and they see this beautiful unified blue marble, without any of those artificial lines that we have drawn on a map of the Earth. And we have found uh, languages and religions and cultures uh, uh, and race, uh, you know, to separate us from each other. Yet, when you look at it from the space, uh, Earth is home to all of these differences. And that's the only home that we have. So I think it is, uh, you know, you were earlier asking about the benefit of space exploration. It is this realization of unity, uh, which I think is another byproduct of the space exploration. And that's the way we ought to view, Earth, uh, view the Earth and view uh, uh, our place in it and not by artificially drawn lines or geographical maps.
0: Fidesz Nazri, it's been uh, an, uh, an unquestionable uh, pleasure and an honor to, to get to do this with you. Uh, the only, I'm only sad that we couldn't do it in person in these uh, Corona days, but hopefully before too long we can do that as well. Thank you so much for doing this today.
5: Thank you, Jean. You are a very good interview and it was easy to talk to you.
0: I hope to see you soon. Merci. Khudafiz.
5: Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: Award winning scientist and NASA director Dr. Firuz Naderi. He joined us from Los Angeles, California today. In the event that this fantastic boy
4: should turn to a roller.
0: lives are valuable too. Nice. A little bit to of live David Bowie from the Berlin depression. years from 1970s and don't I lose know. it Shia keep it for a second you gotta hear that you gotta hear that. this is a uh, fantastic voyage by David Bowie this is one of those records he made while he was in Berlin in the late 70s the album's called lodger this may be this is a top 10 Bowie song. If you're a Bowie fan, uh, <laughs> you're not a Bowie fan uh, unless yes, you think but, this is a top ten. Uh, but, but right here, right here. This coming won't be for
4: God and but you'll never say anything nice again will win. And the wrong words make you listen. is valuable but our lives are valuable
0: too. there you go that seemed to fit with uh, the theme of space fantastic voyage of course life on Mars would be the most appropriate song to play but also kind of cliche everybody uses that with the astronauts um, that was a very invigorating conversation with Feeder's notterie I'm so uh, honored by how open he was talking about how um it was very difficult for him to be receiving the backlash he's received in recent um years for some of his political opinions uh um it was unrevealing I, I, I'm, I'm still processing it and i really really quite enjoyed that keon
2: he's fascinating i mean anybody that works in the in space or nasa let alone is pretty cool um so, yeah.
4: Thank I, you for the I, I, I think I'm a little speechless. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> that's, that's I some, just think he's...
0: <laughs> you really went there. That, a lot of depth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah. now Captain Reza. It's going to be... I could just yeah, feel... Yeah. What do you have to say? Oh, it was yeah. interesting. In, Anyone who works in space...
1: <laughs> impressive. Whoever is near a rocket is, <laughs> gets my vote. No, no, in all seriousness, he's... It's quite, it's amazing. And the fact that he's from Shiraz, Shirazi, oh. I, yeah, I love that.
0: That's right, he's uh, a Shirazi guy. Yeah, really that's like right. It. And so you know what I realized, oh, actually?
1: Oh, See, yeah, something to right. say. Yeah, oh, there okay. he is. Now, you know what's interesting? The fact that you said he's from the C- uh, Iran city of poets. Yes. And then um, I remember like listening to the interview, I'm, I'm like, this guy, like, and you said that as well. You were like, you make things very accessible. You make the knowledge very, good, even though like you're not into space and um, uh, necessarily, and there's a lot of scientific terms that we don't necessarily understand. But he makes he simplifies them and re- and tells the stories in a very poetic way that makes you want to hear even more. Uh, you know what I mean? Absolutely. I his, like his
0: use of uh, metaphors and, yeah. and I mean the. Speaking of the little specks of sand, and then the sports analogies, the the the, the soccer ball, it was it, would, yeah. it it helped us visualize what he was talking about. And was you talking know why about.
1: he's such a great storyteller? Why and, is that? Uh,
0: because he's from the city of poets, no, poets of, of Shiraz. Shiraz.
2: How come you didn't get that, Gene?
0: <laughs> I
1: did, I did. I, I lost it when I went uh, to Canada.
0: Keon, when you walked in as the Bowie was playing, you yeah. walked in, you were like, that was amazing. I loved that. <laughs> And I then, and so, what 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 was it that you liked so much? I think
2: that? I liked the way he ended it off. Uh, what was your question? You were you said something about. Like I was
0: asking about th- what perspective you get from from space, looking back at this uh, this planet, because he he, he speaks quite co- poetically he, about. Yeah, we're all on this. You know, we're just all this speck in the world of of, of humans.
2: Well, I, I was visualizing the Earth from space at that point, and he said, you know, when you look at mm. this rock and you realize we're all on this rock. And we're all in there together. So stop, you know, stop the 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 mess that we're creating of it. Just why can't we all be together? Yes, yes. Think of it that way. Groovy,
4: Shaya. Yes. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Sorry, uh, we were having a conversation. I thought you might be listening along. Sorry to disturb you. you. you, you were want. you doing something else? <laughs> no, you want my uh, opinion. Yes, I'm asking about, you. Yes, since we're talking yeah. about the interview that I just did with Fiers uh, Nadiri yes. I thought maybe you might have something to, to say about it too. Since you were sitting there with the dials along with Captain Reza. Yes,
4: um, I love that picture that uh, he. Uh, he pictured for us about the two different map, one with border, one without borders. And we really have to understand that there is no border. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's just some artificial things that...
1: It's man-made. Yes. All right.
0: Well, thank you for your comments on Fidus Naderi. It is Thursday. It's the time for Letters of the Week.
2: So this week on episode 34, we had a feature interview with Iranian-American actor Navid Negahban. He talked about his journey from living in a car when he first came to America to becoming one of the busiest actors in Hollywood today. He also talked about representation, roles, and the responsibility when it comes to portraying Middle Eastern characters on screen. He talked in depth on that, actually. Um, So a few people wrote in uh, to that interview. We have Instagram username Mark of Excellence wrote Navid's comments changed and confirmed my sentiments on the Shah of Iran. And Jian, by walking a fine line, you are part of the connective tissue, the Chehel Tikeh. Thank you.
0: Nice. Thank nice. you, Mark of Excellence.
2: And I, I have to say, um, I, I never realized that he played the Shah of Iran in a yes. short movie. I think I, I need to actually find that yeah, and watch it. Yeah, he's quite That's
0: impressive in it. I mean, what, yeah, it's worth worth seeing.
2: That's a heavy role to play. As
0: he said, yeah. Wow. There's a, it's a lot of responsibility to yeah. get it right.
2: Doing the research on that, and I can And what imagine. people think
0: is right is, is uh, the, the yeah. source of a lot of debate. But uh, he's an interesting guy to take on all those different roles. Yeah.
2: I, I think I was pretty envious when he was talking about all the research he had to do and get in touch with his close friends and private interviews that, that, that's so cool yeah, to research yeah. yeah I wish I wish it was public all that what did you think Reza?
1: of Navi Nagabon I yeah. thought he's a great guy and a very uh, prolific actor
2: mm. yeah. yeah so we have a Azadeh Sharokhi she wrote to us on YouTube she said I love 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 all the interviews thanks Gian and Rook Media thank, thank
0: you thank you Azadeh I love 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 you for saying that <laughs> that's nice
2: we also have Ria Print on YouTube. She wrote, I love your music in the beginning.
0: Thank you. That's nice. So
2: we have a Nazila Rafizadeh on Facebook wrote, First, I should say hi to you, Jian, and all the Roundtable members. Such a great choice in conversation. Navid Negahban has worked like an ambassador to truly introduce Iran and Iranian culture around the world. Unfortunately, I agree with him about our diffused community. So I have to say everything goes back to us because of us. Also, I don't know who was the mastermind behind the Rook program. It's a great idea having conversations with successful Iranian people, not in Farsi, but but in English. So all of you are great ambassadors too. You are our voice. I love you. Keep going and I believe you will be successful as you are now.
0: It's it nice. beautiful now Very nice.
2: As well, we have Agnes Liu on Facebook wrote, What's the name of the piano melody at the beginning of each session? (laughs) It's so beautiful and tranquil, as if saying, hey folks, welcome on board. Very nice. Fasten your seatbelt and off we go.
0: Gion's little song that Shia didn't like, is what the name
2: of it is. Take that Shia. Take that Shia. (laughs) (laughs) All right, as well, so last week on episode 33, we had an interview with the karate champion and head coach of the Canadian national karate team, Nassim Vadaster. A lot of people wrote in t- uh, about that interview, we have a Ali Khalili on YouTube wrote, Such an incredible interview. To me it was amazing to see that despite all the sufferings she and her father went through after the re- revolution in Iran, her heart still beats for Iran. And she was open and passionate about coaching the national team in Iran. I strongly believe that the Iranian diaspora is a treasure of human capital for the country. One day soon, we will finally come into effect to make our country great again. Um, and then we have Alpine Ibex, username Alpine Ibex, wrote, voice comments is a good idea. Also, I really appreciate the music recommendations. Nice. Sure, that's Some really good music in there. Um, we have Sobhan Nasidi wrote, Hi Jian, can you please add auto-generated subtitles to your videos? It's so easy and would help many people.
0: Actually, we're, we're talking about doing that, right Captain Reza? But, we, um, but by the way, if you are listening to this on YouTube or experiencing this on YouTube, you can just press the closed caption button and it will give you subtitles. But I, but we're going to work on that, so we have them for Instagram and other platforms.
2: Hmm, that is a useful thing to do. Um, we have Robert Rahbar says, "Thank you, Jian. This is a very unique platform, and I am sure with your gift in media presence, this will become a big show. Voice of Diaspora. It's a vibrant feeling of urgency to be heard."
0: Nice, thank you, Robert.
1: Lovely, And Shaya is laughing. You know why? Why? Because it's Rahbar.
0: And this one I know. Did she she get Robert right? (laughs) 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 Yes. Robert Robert Rahbar. You
2: guys are killing me with these. (laughs) Rahbar. Robert Rahbar. Then we have a Sultan BC, username Sultan BC, wrote, Thank you again for a great show. Jian, you are the master of this trade. This lady reminded me of my old buddy in Iran getting beat up by a karate girl. Mm-hmm. I kept laughing at him because he deserved it too. <laughs> Lots of respect to Nasim. Just remember, taking that job in Iran has some risks and would put you in danger. They aren't good at keeping their uh, end of the bargain. Dual citizens like us have ended up in jail for politics' upper hand before. Love you guys.
0: So that this is a response to the the at the end of the interview, Nasim said that. Uh, she's been getting some offers to coach in Iran, and she's something she's considering. That's what people are reacting to here. Yeah, yeah. she's the, currently the head coach of the Canadian team.
2: Mm-hmm. So, and then we have Instagram username Marzia. She wrote, "I'm so addicted to the podcast that I can't focus on my own research work." Laughing emoji. Yay!
3: Why
0: isn't that the letter of the day? That's, I love. Well,
2: that. funny you should
0: mention addicted. the letter of the oh, week. Oh, it's the it's, letter of the week.
2: We have Hamid, uh, last name SH on YouTube wrote, what a great interview. People like you, Jian, as well as Nassim and all of your other guests are role models to many of us. It's such a beautiful thing to see fellow Iranians become national and international icons. Your program shines light on these great heroes whom have had their well-deserved spotlights taken away from them one way or another. Congratulations, Jian and team on this amazing show. You should also at some point consider interviewing greats like Gugush, Farmars, Aslani, and Ebi. Hmm. We will do that. Never outside. heard of those people.
0: <laughs> but Gugush thank you. <laughs> Is that the last name, Gugush, or the first name? Thank you, Hamid S.H. You have the letter of the week. Uh, thank you, the fabulous Keon. Thank you uh, Captain Reza groovy Sh- Shia.
4: <laughs> you asked me a question while we were pl- we were playing
0: Bowie that uh, I-,
4: I have to admit that I wasn't a fan of Bowie before oh. but uh, last week as you may know I started to uh, read your book in yes. 1982. Mm-hmm. yes and I think I I kind of got content contaminated
0: you're a bowie fan now y- yes yes, uh, yes contaminated yes. Yes. the book is doing its work
4: uh, and by the way your book is really uh, I, i'm really you. into it yeah. yeah, thank you very really much
0: great. thank you very much i'm glad that 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 uh, it's brought you to david bowie yeah. hopefully talking heads as well you'll get to that where oh, are you oh, all
4: all the musicians that you mentioned i i, I did you yeah. looked them up yes yes that's yes, great uh, yeah that's that's a kind of encyclopedia for um uh, these decades
0: music that's very kind mm-hmm. um thank you guys thank you to mo rahimian and insufin check out insufin for financial planning needs and travel insurance thank you again to mo and insufin for all you do for the Iranian community and for uh, helping us out at rook thanks to the amazing rook team ponta reza shaya susan sarah Mehrdad, mohammed kian and roham who's been helping us out uh, I want to go out on some music by a band called Bomrani. They are, I think they, they live in Tehran, right? Yes. They're still in Iran. Yes. Uh, and uh, they just put out a new album last week, but I want to play a song from their 2017 record called Leaving and Passing By. This is actually the title track from that record. Leaving and Passing By, Bomrani. Thank you so much for listening. Mizum
3: Maniye del Bastan معنی پیوستن معنی دل کندن مانیه معنی خاطره آنچه بر کسی گذاشته و در حافظش مانده معنی حافظه آرزه زبط نگهداری مطالب بقایی معنی اتفاق پیش آمد مرزش معنی فاصله نصافت بین دو چیزی و دو کس تو خیلی دوری خیلی دوری تو خیلی دوری خیلی دوری خیلی دوری
0: خیلی دور
3: معنی خستگی معنی پهنگی معنی دلتنگی بیهودگی معنی دلتنگی دیدن کشیدن کسی از معنی گذنانی موجود کن. معنی التحار افرود شدن و زبانی کشیدن استرام معنی استرام ها یا جانی نخوش همراه با می‌برند. معنی ساز و کار دفاعی که بران فرد از آنی چه یاداور موارد ناگبار باشد دوری می‌کند. تو خیلی دوری خیلی دوری Oh, très doux. تو doux. Ton fréri doux. Très doux. Ton معنی اشتباه معنی انقضا انتها معنی استم تکرار تکرار و رفتن بیبستید و و Lady. Hey, Amen.